You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 285. I'm your host, András Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. See us, Doc. Hello. Hey, son, hey, son. Wow. The three of us back again. Yeah. Yep. Three musketeers reunited. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome back, Anders. Thank you. I came back in one piece from Italy. Mm-hmm. How have you been? <laughs> well, busy, 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 busy. You know, with uh, the COVID regulations and all the new rules uh, everywhere at every destination that we visited. Well, it's been quite a challenge to go through the country with a whole group of people. I mean, there were places. <laughs> my favorite was two places in Ravello at Villa Ruffolo and at um, uh, Royal Palace of Caserta. Have you been? No. No? No. Never mind. So the Royal Palace has the Royal royal Apartments and we usually visit them and it takes about an hour and a half to go through with a whole group. This time I did four rounds of 45 minute long tours inside the Royal Apartments. So it was like running around like crazy because I had to divide the group in four different sections oh yeah wow yeah and this pretty much sums up my tour (laughs) (laughs) Ah, to the right you see well whatever and to the left you see never mind and then you just run off Uh, yeah (laughs) basically but (laughs) i tried to give as much information as possible within the given time but it was still quite a challenge (laughs) everywhere it was almost like that but the people that I, I traveled with, they were, they were so lovely. They were very nice. And everywhere, providers, service providers were very happy to see us. Obviously, they've been seeing mostly Italians all over the place because that's what's happening in many countries now, that domestic tourism has taken off yeah. instead of foreign tourism. Yeah, same here. Like Everyone is going to the northern like islands. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the Baltic Sea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, that's where I'm going next, apparently. Uh-huh. <laughs> to the Baltic States. Between the 11th and 20th of August, and this is also a call for uh, local skeptics in northeast Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, that if you want to meet up with a traveling skeptic <laughs> and you live around the area, please let me know. <laughs> I would be... Very happy. I'm fully vaccinated and I'm very cautious when it comes to uh, dealing with COVID issues. I mean, trying to do everything sensibly. So, uh, yeah, but don't um, worry. I mean, Anders is always a dangerous man, <laughs> even in the best of circumstances. So uh, be careful. What would that be? He's vicious. <laughs> I am. I am. I am. I am. As one. Well. I'm definitely that. Uh, <laughs> okay. He bites. <laughs> How are you guys? Good. Very well, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's not much happening at the moment. It's um, vacation, mm-hmm. <laughs> just around the house. Okay, that sounds good, actually. <laughs> Annika, what's what's the surrounding area like? Well, with my immediate surroundings, we we didn't get hit mm-hmm. by the floods, mm-hmm. but uh, in like in Arweiler and Bad Münstereifel, they're still cleaning up. Basically, it's also like a bit shit because now the mud is drying. So now it's harder to to get it to scrape it off, um, because it gets like really hard, really like co- almost like concrete. Of course. Yeah. So 
they're still working a lot. And um, I was really, really happy to hear that when I talked about it last week, that Wildmix, the group around Lydia Benecke, Tommy Krabweis and uh, Martin Woda and others, they collected money and I heard that they collected over 50,000 euro. Wow. Wow. So That's great. the exact number was 51,500. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Yeah. I'm sure it's all needed. Yeah. yeah it, it will be needed, but I, I was just gobsmacked by that number. I was like, wow, yeah. that's epic. It is. <laughs> that's great. So skeptics are, when skeptics are actually humanists, this is what happens. So right. yes. skeptics are not there to do harm. They are there to help people, yeah. whatever it is yeah. that, that they It shows with. that not having Christian faith or not having a theist belief system or just like not being um, organized in that regard doesn't mean that you're immoral. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it's often a, an excuse for religion. That, oh, think of all the charity we do. You can do charity without religion. Yeah, exactly. That's not a problem. Exactly. <laughs> when it's even better than because you're you're not doing it because you want to be good. Yeah, and you don't do stupid <laughs> things like sending a lot of Bibles to places where they need water and yeah. blankets. Yeah, very helpful. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of skeptics with a conscience, and well, most of uh, skeptics that we know <laughs> do all this activism out of having a conscience about the world. And this was very much the case with someone who recently passed away, and that was Fritz Van Dam. I really hope that I got the pronunciation relatively right. He was the secretary of uh, the Association Against Quackery in the Netherlands, VTDK, for about 20 years. And I think he resigned two years ago, but he was still on the board Mm -hmm. up until the last day. He recently turned 81 years old, but unfortunately he passed away uh, a couple of days ago. In Amsterdam, that was... And, well, he's had quite a career, if I may say that word or use that word for a, for a skeptical activist, mm-hmm. that started in, in the early 1970s when he was on the State Committee for Alternative Medicine and he wrote a bit of a minority report on quackery. And, well, he got quite a bit of criticism for that because of all the... The quacks. Yeah, who, who were convinced <laughs> that uh, alternative medicine is a thing that uh, need to be reckoned with. And uh, then he started going against uh, the tobacco industry and um, he established an anti-smoking website, Tabakne. Tabakne, or yeah. Dutch listeners, please help us out here. Uh, or Onika, can you help me with... Uh, you, you speak a little bit of Dutch, don't you? Which word again, sorry? Tabakne. How is it spelled? That's the other question. N double E at the end. Nee, ah, yeah, tabak nee, I would say. Yeah. Nee, okay. Nee. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes nee it depends on where they've come from. <laughs> okay. Yes. So he was quite a giant in terms of uh, what he did as a skeptical activist and a skeptic in the Netherlands. So uh, we were sad to hear uh, his passing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Don't you feel these days that there are so many giants in skepticism? that are already of a very, very old age. And we've lost a lot of them uh, recently. Yeah. So please, people, take care of yourselves. And we need more young skeptics as well. So... (laughs) Yes. I'm sure there are new skeptics born all the time. It's just that you don't really find out that they were skeptics until they... Come of age. (laughs) Of age, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think also a lot of 
groups are making a conscious effort to be more open, more welcoming mm -hmm. to younger people. Yeah, yeah. Um, for example, GWUP, they say, well, the speakers, for example, we want to have women and men on same parts on the conference uh, because that yeah, yeah. is more inviting for younger women, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, at QED, as we know, they also have like a, a crash, <laughs> like for, for children to park their children there during the conference. So these are things that will make it more easy for younger people to join the movement. And mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm really happy these things are happening. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, but speaking of uh, that, you are not always born a skeptic. We got an email from uh, a Dutch listener called Marcel Jan Kriegsman. And I hope I pronounced that fairly correctly. But uh, he sent us an email and uh, sent a link to his blog Uh, and his blog is normally not about skepticism, but he recently published a blog post called, quote, Growing Up, the story of how I became a skeptic, uh, end quote. And it's all in English, so, so we'll put the link in the show notes. You can read it. I hope you, you do read it because it was very good. And I don't want to spoil too much, but the story is about how he had some health issues when he was a kid and he got a proper treatment for that at first, but then... The thing was, he grew up with well-meaning, surely, but misguided parents. So there was a lot of pyramid water, reflexology and homeopathy as well. And there was one homeopath that told the family that uh, he should go off his medication. And that led to all kinds of problems. And some of the problems he didn't even realize until quite recently. So... Anyway, it, it, I won't spoil the whole thing. It's an honest and very interesting account. Mm. And uh, it clearly answers the question of what's the harm yeah. uh, in, in not understanding the difference between science-based medicine and quackery. And that the, there's also a story on how he slowly turned away from, from pseudoscience. Of course, having grown up with homeopathy and, and things like that, you, you, you believe that because that's what your yeah. parents tell you. Mm -hmm. But he, he describes how he grew away from pseudoscience and there are tips for others on how to become a critical thinker and where you can find out more. So uh, you should definitely check it out. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Marcel Jan, for sharing your story. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's a great story. And if you happen to pronounce his name wrong, then he could also send us um, an audio file, which I understand someone else did with uh, something that... Uh, that's right. ...that you talked about last week. <laughs> right. We got from Poland because we did uh, talk about, or I talked about, uh, mm -hmm. a uh, researcher last week that got a really wrong award It was all about why masks doesn't work and why vaccines are, are deadly. And uh, of course, I mispronounced the name of the Polish university and also the name of the guy. So, uh, listener Max so uh, very generously sent us his sound file. And here it is in all its glory. I will not try to mimic this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so here it is. Hi. In City Poznań, there is Uniwersytet Medyczny imienia Karola Marcinkowskiego w Poznaniu where Harald Wallach was working. But I'm not sure about pronunciation because he is a German. Okay, so the first thing that I got wrong was that uh, Harald Wallach was a German and, and not a Polish guy. Yeah, doesn't sound like a Polish. So, so may maybe, Annika, you could pronounce that for <laughs> us as well uh, again. 
Yeah, sure. Like I was just not sure last week if this guy is German or not because he could also like immigrated and have been a Polish. But the word Wallach is a German word. That's why I wasn't sure. But he's pronounced Harald Wallach. <laughs> Harald Wallach. But yes. then <laughs> the name of the university, I will play that once again. And this is just the name of the university. And I don't think anyone on this podcast can come close to pronounce this. So here it is. The name of the university was... Uniwersytet Medyczny imienia Karola Marcinkowskiego w Poznaniu. Right. Okay, so there we close the, the Polish lessons for today, I think. But thank you so much, Max, to, to help us with that. Thank you. Nice, nice. <laughs> I just love this. Please keep them coming. Yes, it was such a good idea. I think, was it your idea, Andras? I think so. Yeah, it was, just... but it's not the reason why I like it. <laughs> I promise. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Guys, shouldn't we crack on with the rest of the show? I mean, the, the regular stuff. Yay! <laughs> we have an episode to, to make here, yes. All right, <laughs> let's do it. And of course, as usual, we need to start with something that happened this week in Skepticism. Yeah, and this week I'm talking about Carl Gustav Jung. Ooh, not much of a skeptic, was he? <laughs> no, <laughs> but that's why he's interesting for us. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, he was born on the 26th of July, 1875, and died on the 6th of June, 1961. Mm -hmm. He was a Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst and uh, got influenced by Freud, Goethe, Nietzsche, and others. And himself, he influenced Freud, interestingly enough, mm -hmm. um, Hermann Hesse, Jean Piaget, and so on. He coined terms like synchronicity, archetypal phenomena, extroversion, introversion. And that's like what I want to say. Like He's a very interesting person in that regard because he coined all these things. Like he still is pretty much stuck <laughs> in psychology. If you want to study psychology, you will, you can't go around him. Although he also created a lot of, how to say it politely, Shit. You don't have to polite. It's not alive anymore. <laughs> so, it's not like he's going to get offended. Yeah, right. And we have an explicit tag. So Yeah. So like he also created a lot of, I don't want to call it pseudoscience, but maybe it's between pseudoscience and science. So like pseudo pseudo pseudoscience, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the next level, like not even pseudoscience, it's pseudo-pseudoscience. Yeah, but it's like pseudo-pseudoscience would probably be science. So uh, that's why I said pseudo-pseudo-pseudoscience. <laughs> oh my God, I can't follow that. <laughs> well, it was maybe a bit of a weird um, Annika logic, but... <laughs> No, what I want to say is he led to a lot of pseudoscience in the field. For example, with personality tests, um, with um, the whole human resources, uh, psychology testing, blah, goes eventually back to him. Um, extroversion, introversion goes back to him. And even if you take the psychology out of the whole equation, then he still was very interested in the occult and was viewed as a mystic even by his contemporaries. So he's really like a bit of a contrastive person because he, of, on the one hand, he was the man of science, but also a mystic. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, he created all of these things that were super influential and that are still hard to get out of actual books. <laughs> like I know that I in university, I studied Jung and 
I studied him super uncritically. Mm -hmm. So like in, in my psychology books, there was no mention of like, hey, that's maybe not really scientific what he's doing. <laughs> okay, so it, it was taught as, as it, yeah. proper... Yeah, it was taught as fact. ...psychology. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 Interesting. It, it's still the case. I mean, we have uh, universities here in Sweden, especially one in, in Gothenburg that is uncritically teaching the teachings of Freud to young psychologists as if that is the only thing that you should learn yeah. becoming a, a psychologist and it, it is very outdated never worked it was uh, even fraudulently uh, reported by freud himself his findings i don't think he meant to be a fraud but he was definitely not scientific mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of the things he did he came up with just on his own in his chamber and it wasn't tested before he declared that this is how it works yeah and i think the problem is that so much that came after it built up on it and, and that's why why it's so hard <laughs> yeah yeah i'm pretty sure that new ageism is something that that has its roots in his ideas yeah. at least to some extent yeah. like uh, you're one with the universe as uh, like as far as i remember from my studies because in our teacher training it was included as well, but by then I was already a skeptic, so I didn't care much as to how it was interpreted by the teacher, who was very much a Freudian and a Jungist person, mm. who started the first ever introduction to psychology lecture by saying that, yeah, you can find some neuroanatomy stuff in the book at the beginning but you don't need to pay much attention to that because it's not important <laughs> and <laughs> that's where they lost me never mind so yeah and as far as i remember he was he was very much of a pantheist like he believed in all kinds of weird shit yeah uh supernatural stuff he but the problem was that like many others of his contemporaries he he always try to intellectualize it mm -hmm. and scientify it so to say yeah, yeah and like i mean there are important scientific questions in regards to religion for example why do people believe <laughs> or yeah stuff like that but he um pretty much turned that around and said like yeah that's why like beings like that exist and blah blah so it's just like not the most scientific thing <laughs> yeah didn't he attend a lot of uh, like seances yes. and he was a believer of ESP? Yes. Ah. Yeah, I read that and I had a bit of a... So at least there's that. So his legacy lives on in, in our in podcast. Us. In us. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's his birthday. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Cool. Really cool. Okay. Thank you very much, Annika. Thank you. And that means that we are moving on to finding out if Pontus has something to poke the Pope for. Uh, not today. No Pope today, I'm afraid. Uh, nothing really worth mentioning. There's a couple of things brewing in the background, but uh, we'll bring it up again when we know how it ends. Uh, so I'm promised that we'll be more pokings in the future, but uh, not today. All right. All that means that we are moving on to the news. Yeah, and I've got two news in relation to the flood. Um, again, aye, 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 aye. one that made me really angry, and another one that made me a bit bemused, but also a bit annoyed and angry, mm -hmm. because in the disaster regions of of the R, so like in Arvela, where houses collapsed and things were very much flooded, the police have been warned about a car 
that has the label Friedensfahrzeug, Peace Vehicle, and is driving around Ahrweiler to spout rubbish about COVID and to be like, we are the saviors. Problem of this car is that it's completely colored um, like a police car. So it has exact blue color of the police. It has like the writing, the label is in, in the neon yellow that, that the police uses here um, for, for their writing. So if you look at it, it looks like a police car. And that's, of course, not the nicest thing to do if, with people that have lost so much anyways. So that might be really angry because I was like, yeah, that's basically kicking someone who's already on the ground. Yeah. And the second uh, thing that annoyed me was that there was a photo going around social media with a flooded car and there was a Greta Thunberg sticker in the back where it, where it said, fuck Greta. And that was a Photoshop fake. Mm. So... It would have been very ironic, of course, to see a flooded car that has says fuck Greta, but it wasn't true. Yeah. And here you can see everyone can use Photoshop, not only people who want to further their goals in regards to pseudoscience, but also people who want to further their goals in regards to uh, climate activism. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Always uh, ask where things are coming from. Always stay critical. <laughs> and just because you agree with that and you find it really amusing or ironic and you find it satisfying to see something like that yeah you should not be it's still fake without criticism it's yeah, still fake exactly. yeah you fake should is try fake. to spot fake <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah okay but but those floodings have happened and the heat waves have happened and they are still happening uh look at what's going on in siberia oh my god yeah everything is on fire as they they say these days in in, in siberia and it's unbelievable that it's more than a month that he had that some villages have even been destroyed and whole forests are being destroyed completely and that is not an isolated thing it's happening all over the world i just read recently that the carbon balance of the amazon has now shifted towards net emission uh as opposed to absorbing all the carbon dioxide and that's because of the, the all the burnings mm. going on mm. yeah so as they clear out uh, the forests all, all the burnings going on and that's what uh, the result of that is but the issues are continuing so the, not only that it is happening but the problem is as many experts have said in the last week or so is that there have been reports and there have been forecastings of large flooding areas but the system is not ready to handle all that information and there are two levels to that the first level is the predictions are not clear enough and that is because the models are not accurate enough and why that is is because there's not enough computing power so far available for experts to try to evaluate the risk of something happening and because of that the forecasts are not accurate enough and as a result the decision makers are not fast enough because they they don't know what to take into consideration and they don't know what to take seriously enough to actually act on it so and there's there's another level to this so there are monitoring uh systems in place to try to take care of all the dangers that severe weather events can bring about so one of them is the european flood awareness system for example and th there is a larger organization that is called the e the copernicus emergency management service which deals with all the different kinds of uh weather related catastrophic events and uh handling all that on a european level but the problem is that because of the spreading of the responsibilities 
there is no clear process and there is no clear protocol as to how to handle all these. And the result is hundreds of people dying when the response doesn't come well in advance and when the uh, the shitstorm hits, then there is no, not a fast enough response. So as a result, we are here with close to 200 people dead because of the floodings, only in Europe. And we haven't mentioned anything about all the severe weather events all over the world, uh, especially with the heat waves. So this is why now climate scientists are calling for an internationally funded supercomputer network that they can use to further advance their models and make them more accurate and more usable for these flood management and uh, severe weather management systems. And why I find this very weird is that we don't really see how unbalanced things are around the world. Uh, there are ongoing discussions about whether cryptocurrency is a good thing or not. But think of all the computing power that is used to mine cryptocurrency. And that computing power combined, and that uses a lot of energy, which puts an even larger stress on the energy system and those providing that energy. And as a result, we are making the situation worse. But with that amount of computing power spread out across countries and used for like running climate models to make them more accurate, that would be beneficial for humanity as opposed to something like cryptocurrency. And I might get a lot of criticism for this opinion of mine because it's just an opinion and it, I might even be accused of demagoguery uh, for saying that fuck cryptocurrency and instead let's use that computing power to ad further advance our models and then we could probably use scientifically acquired data and models to manage our future because if things are going the way they are then we are screwed. Mm. Yeah, and it's also a bit of a no-brainer because you can have the planet without cryptocurrency, but you can't have cryptocurrency if you don't have the planet. <laughs> so. Oh, that's very oh. nicely put. Annika. That's a good sticker there. I'll put it on my car. <laughs> and not with Photoshop. <laughs> very good. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so another topic altogether. A little bit of the space and uh, astronomy and uh, maybe not in a good way. And uh, maybe, are you guys familiar with the name Avi Loeb? Oh, oh yes, oh yes. Uh, okay, for those who, who don't know, he is an Israeli-American theoretical physicist. And uh, he's quite high up there. Until last year, he was the chair of Harvard's Department of Astronomy. So he counts. He keeps mentioning as well that he has collaborated with uh, Stephen Hawking. So, um, you know, a guy whose word is uh, highly um, appreciated, at least in the press. Now, in December 2017, he suggested that the famously cigar-shaped, but perhaps not so cigar-shaped, uh, after all, interstellar object, Oumuamua, mm -hmm. was a spacecraft from outside of the solar system. And he got a lot of uh, world press uh, because of that, a lot of attention. And is it aliens or is it not? I mean, mm, well, it could just be a rock. Uh, and now this guy is at it again. He has put together an international team of researchers from Harvard, uh, Princeton, Cambridge, 
Caltech and the University of Stockholm into something they called the quote-unquote Galileo project. So I, I would say I would argue this is the opposite of the Copernicus uh, project because that's actually used for something good. But this Galileo project is supposed to uh, create a quote a global network of medium-sized telescopes, cameras, and computers to investigate unidentified flying objects. So now he is a UFO hunter. Great. <laughs> he also wants to investigate objects that visit our solar system from interstellar space, like the Oumuamua, and uh, search for, quote, alien satellites that might be probing Earth, hmm. end quote. You know, of course there could be such things. But is that really what we should focus on? My thinking is that if there was aliens visiting Earth, we would know by now. They would not come all this way just to, to uh, in um, secret, um, mutilate some cows and then uh, <laughs> uh, you know, abduct a few people and erase their memories for the last 24 hours so they can't tell. What, you know, that's not what you would do if you travel light years to investigate what's going on on another planet for something that for them would be a foreign planet or an alien planet. I don't know. I do think that if there are spacefaring civilizations out there and they have something in place similar to the Prime Directive, obviously referring to the Star Trek universe. But even so, you know, you've seen all the Star Trek uh, series and the movies and that. How many times have they not broken the Prime Directive? They do it in almost every show. They can't keep from interfering and meddling. And... That's right, but arguably that could be the same <laughs> happening with them. I mean, they try to hide themselves, but occasionally they make, make mistakes. And this is... And mutilate a cow? And this... No. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it, Andras. I doubt, I doubt it. Okay, you know, I'm not referring specifically to the cow mutilation, of course, but... <laughs> <laughs> but many other things that people claim to have seen. Yeah, all right. But he, he's lending his credibility to UFO hunting and also wanting to send up uh, satellites and, and telescopes just to do this. And I, I argue that there are so many other things that a theoretical physicist could and should yeah. do something that would have much more immediate benefits for mankind. I have a weird feeling about this. Don't know if you've heard that interview that uh, Michael Shermer did with him. No. And they had a proper argument over this Amuamua uh -huh. story. And uh, he got quite defensive at times, even though Shermer was very, very polite with him. Mm -hmm. But he did argue with him. And when I saw this piece of news, I immediately thought of Loeb just doubling down on something that he was not necessarily right about. We don't know. He could he could be right. But the, the way he argued was not very scientific. I mean, right. it was scientifically not sound the, the way he's, he tries to put out his arguments. And uh, this is what happens a lot of the times when someone with a great acclaim says something that's weird or a little bit out there. And instead of saying that, you know what? Yeah, you're probably right. I might be wrong. Instead of saying that and doing that, they just double down and go even deeper and deeper into that shit. Mm. And 
this is what I, I suspect is happening. Hmm. But that happened to also a lot of Nobel laureates, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. I was thinking about that. It's almost like the Nobel disease. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it's a bit like almost like Dunning-Kruger if you're very smart, so to say. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but Dunning-Kruger is not about being smart or not. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody falls for the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, and I would guess if you're like if you're acclaimed and smart, then it's probably even harder to be humble <laughs> and to be like, oh yeah. Right. Yeah, you <laughs> overestimate yeah. your own ability to be fooled. Exactly. Underestimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you underestimate. You yeah. underestimate <laughs> your ability <laughs> to like, be yeah, fooled. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, a classic case of that was uh, uh, Jacques Benveniste, who was tested by James Rendy. And it wasn't about Benveniste using his claim to establish that he's, he was right. But nobody thought of the, the proper method of how to find out if his experiments with water did really bring positive results that was claimed to to have been the basis of uh, homeopathy. Mm. And uh, it was uh, through James Randi's advice that uh, they tested the, the results and they came out wrong. Yeah, and something that's also very wrong is people protesting against vaccines again. <laughs> oh, no. Because in France, or France, <laughs> they want to um, make a vaccine passport um, and they want to make it the key of daily life. Um, so Macron ordered that um, the health pass would be, for example, required for venues mm -hmm. and they want the vaccinations to be the top weapon against covid which is something we completely probably can agree to. <laughs> and they, are, they were met with fierce opposition from some. There were big protests with several uh, people arrested and hurt. And they claim that this would erode civil liberties and they claim it's against the Nuremberg Code. So this is about medical consent and to avoid suffering if you're doing experimentational medicine. But as our listener Cyril <laughs> points out very correctly, the Nuremberg Code is A, outdated, and B, this is not about experimental medicine. The vaccines have already been experimented. <laughs> They're out of the experimental phase. So the Nuremberg Code doesn't even apply. So it's this is not against civil liberties. <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. So the legislation has been approved by the Senate, um, just needs to be approved by the highest administrative uh, authority, the Constitutional Council. But this is probably only a formality. So mm. but despite the protests, they, they luckily uh, go through with that. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Um, moving to Italy, but uh, sticking to the topic of healthcare and especially alternative medicine. And within that, it's chiropractic that uh, we need to talk about this time. I came across this on Edzardern's uh, blog, and that is a report on something that happened a while back in uh, Sicily, Italy, and an article on the Anali di Igiene, Medicina Preventiva e di Comunità. Of course. Uh, is the name of the journal where it was published. I read it all the time. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the Annals of Hygiene, Preventive and Community Medicine. Mm -hmm. That's the title of the journal. And it was uh, published at the beginning of July with the title, A Rare Case of Water Intoxication in Unusual Chiropractic Prescription, A Medical Legal Analysis Due to Alleged Malpractice. 
So the importance of this uh, case is because it's one case. It's a case of a six and seven year old woman who had a rare case uh, of an um, so-called acute hyponatremia, <laughs> which is basically when your electrolyte system is massively altered and that means that you cannot function properly and by not functioning properly i mean very severe stuff like uh she had some sensory alterations like weird feelings according to uh her family seizures and um she was admitted to uh, an intensive care unit and why that happened was that she consumed 14 liters of water in two days oh wow following the advice of a chiropractor and the original reason for her to even go to a chiropractor was low back pain and at the end after taking care of her and bringing her back from the edge of death because of all that serious situation it turns out that she had a herniated disc between her vertebrae so that should have been treated medically and not by a freaking chiropractor and the chiropractor didn't do anything mechanically with it but told her to drink a lot of water <laughs> and she developed headaches uh, nausea uh, she started vomiting and all that stuff so uh, her family decided to call the ambulance and was taken to an intensive care unit she was in a coma by then. Wow, yeah. So, yeah. It's really, really dangerous. You can actually overdose on water. I, I don't think everybody is aware about that. You can overdose on anything. Yes. That's true, but water sounds so... so. Water sounds so good, but pure. <laughs> yeah, but... The... And it's not about drowning. It, it's actually, you can consume so much water that your body doesn't know how to handle it, and then you you can die. Exactly. And the the electrolyte balance starts to shift and that's what basically can kill you yes and there was a judicial authority and that ordered a medical legal evaluation of how the chiropractor behaved and uh, as a result they came up with judging the situation as the chiropractor being responsible and professionally liable for what was done and why I think this is important, and this is only one case that was investigated, it was basically a scientific report of, of this situation, but that means that other complementary and alternative medicinal practitioners could be measured by the same standards and say that if something like that happens, then they should be held responsible for what happened. Because you don't want to blame the victim. No. It's not them. They trusted someone they thought was an expert. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's important to hold practitioners responsible, even if they happen to be a real doctor, which is the case of my next uh, little quick follow-up from a previous story. Listeners may remember that there was a Swedish doctor who charged for COVID tests oh, yeah. uh, of unsuspecting patients and, and all the tests came back negative because in fact he didn't do any tests on them. He just signed a paper that it would be okay. And actually, he, I think he invented another doctor, a fake doctor who, who's signed these things. Anyway, we reported before that he was found guilty in during trial. And the sentence was published today, actually, as we record it, 28th of July. And he got one year in prison for what he did. And that was actually a much longer prison sentence that the prosecution had argued for. They argued for three months in prison. 
But apparently the judge felt differently. It's a bit unusual, but it happens. But as far as I'm concerned, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Serves him right. Yeah. Uh, We're finishing the new segment with something that has already been mentioned before on um, earlier episodes. But we have more details now. And that is about the Spanish Skeptical Congress 2021, which will be held online on the 11th of September, on the 20th anniversary of uh, 9-11. And uh, it's not going to be only about that, obviously. A lot of other things will be featured. Conspiracy theories will be in the focus of all that. But obviously, it's not the only thing that will happen. But they will list the the most crazy ones, the most believed and the most dangerous ones of of those and uh, what already passed and uh, what are trending now. And uh, since it will be online, everyone will be able to watch it and it will be absolutely free. And the program will be published on the Skepticos website as well, which is the website of the Spanish Society for the Advancement of Critical Thinking, also known as ARPSAPC. (laughs) (laughs) They do advise you, though, that even if you're watching from your home, from in front of a computer, you should probably wear a tinfoil hat. <laughs> just to be sure. To make, just to make sure. Great. <laughs> to be on the safe side. Great advice. So when, whenever it comes online and whenever it is available, the, the full program, of course, we will put it up on the website and we will mention that. And uh, you'll find that on our calendar as well which we suggest you check out from time to time anyway. Okay, all that which uh, brings us to the segment that's called Really Wrong. All right, there's a double whammy today. I don't think we've had that before, but... Bam, uh, bam! (laughs) Right. So, first, there is a scandal blowing up in Sweden. One of the bigger newspapers have done some investigative journalism and found that in all the health regions of Sweden, unofficially and indirect uh, violation of the rules, patients are often allowed to choose their doctor based on ethnicity. Oh, wow. So, blatant racism is apparently tolerated. So that some insist to have a doctor or a nurse or even a dentist with a Swedish background, not a foreign background. From the patients, unfortunately, I'm not surprised. People are terrible. uh, Some people are anyway. But uh, the scandal is that the regions allow this. And in one case, for example, the administrator at the public dentist clinic is reported to have said, quote, Anyway, we have two light-skinned ones. I can book you with a Swedish dentist, end quote. Whoa. And that is apparently not just one person doing something very wrong. It happens all over the country. Wow. And that is really, really uh, scandalous and, yeah. and surprising to me. I mean, I have to say, if I think it's important for a patient to feel safe with their doctor, um, that 
doesn't mean I'm racist. That's what I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to say is, for example, when I'm um, like in the hospital when Luna was born, there was a doctor there who was like fat shaming me all the time, and I just didn't feel safe with that guy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I said, I want another doctor, please. Yeah. <laughs> but that, of course, wasn't because uh, he wasn't yeah he was white or black or whatever. No. That was because I didn't feel safe. So I just want to make the distinction. Uh, actually, that was you could argue he wasn't competent yeah. because that's not something a doctor should do. So that's different. But it's even that they have found cases where patients have been allowed to discriminate against health personnel that are even people who are born and raised and have had their health education in the Swedish education system. So there's not a problem with language. There's not a problem of having another kind of education. It's all the same, but they are still being allowed to discriminate against them because they are of a foreign descent or even have been adopted as little baby. And so something is very fundamentally wrong here. Yes, systemically. (laughs) And I hope that this is now being addressed very forcefully and changed very quickly. Yeah. And did they find any correlation with age or I don't know or social status or something? I have I haven't seen that yet. What the newspaper did was that they uh, called up the clinics pretending to be a patient and tried to see if they could pull this because they had heard that this was happening. So they tried to do it and. Uh, so I, w- I want a Swedish doctor. Can you guarantee that this is not a foreign one? And in many, many cases, the clinics were very, oh, yes, of course, we can fix that for you. Wow. So exactly who is being, I mean, as I said, that the public have people who are terrible and racist, that's one thing. But this is about the regions themselves. Yeah. This is a systemic issue, as Onika said. And this is against their expressed rules. They have rules against this, and they are apparently it's not working. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's very wrong. It has to be addressed. Yeah. And uh, speaking of being wrong, we ha- I said it was a double whammy. Here comes the next one, <laughs> and the way our schedule works with weekly recordings, etc. This now may be a bit old, like uh, almost ten days when this show goes out, but I think it's still worth mentioning, and he shouldn't get away with it. And with he, I mean Eric Clapton. Mm. It's been in the news lately. And actually, he's been a sort of a jerk for a while. Uh, even in the 70s, I think he had some racist views. But anyway, back to this topic here. Uh, in December, he joined with uh, Van Morrison and they together performed the song, uh, quote, Stand Up and Deliver, end quote, which is an anti-lockdown song that, among other nonsense, uh, contains the phrase, quote, do you want to be a free man or do you want to be a slave? End quote. And this is all because you are being asked to wear a mask and things like this. Then they followed this up, both of them, uh, with another song called The Rebels, which implies, heavily implies, especially if you see the video, that they are the only rebels left that dares to uh, stand against the, the, the system and everyone else has just sold out or caved in to the government, uh, oppressing everybody, making them slaves, etc., etc. But now the, the killer deal with Eric Clapton <laughs> is that he has declared that he will refuse to play any gig if there's any COVID restrictions applied. Uh, he just won't stand for that kind of abuse. And what he's really saying is, I will not play for any audience that do not risk their own lives. <laughs> because, and for him, it's all a conspiracy to enslave us all and yada, yada, yada. 
So uh, I don't like that at all, of course. He is spreading conspiracies. He's a very famous person doing this. A lot of people listen to him. And also he may even have his way in some cases, unless mm. there's, a, 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 you know, if a venue wants to impose certain regulations, checking vaccine uh, passports or whatever in the future, they may feel pressured not to do so because otherwise he won't play at their venue. There's a German uh, singer who also did something not completely similar but but related to that. You probably know her because she was uh, pretty famous in the 80s. She's the singer of 99 Red Balloons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, 99. Luftballons. Luftballons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of course. Okay. She, uh, she had a concert in, in Berlin and she called her um, audience to the front and was like, yeah, let's just celebrate in freedom and everything. And um, there were actually people from the uh, health bureau there. And, and they were like, no, you're not doing that. Please come to me, celebrate, blah, blah. And then they were like, okay, now we're closing your concert down. If you are violating the rules, then we, we're closing it down. And they actually stopped the concert there. <laughs> nice. Right. That's the way to treat these idiots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that's a, sort of mirroring the Nobel disease, really, because if you become famous, it doesn't matter for what. I mean, Eric Clapton is a brilliant guitarist. Yeah. yeah. I love the way he plays. Yeah. But that's what he can do. He cannot give me advice on scientific things or health issues and stuff. That's not his competence. But if somebody has had a whole life where everybody always admired them, albeit for the guitar playing, but they always feel admired, then they sort of lose grip on reality and think that anything they do is correct. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So to wrap these things up, uh, we have two prizes this week. First, for apparently tolerating open racism and discrimination in the healthcare system, the Swedish health regions. And then, secondly, Eric Bloody Clapton, who fuels conspiracy theories and wants to uh, push his uh, conspiracy theories to his audience and wants the audience to get sick to satisfy his ideas. Both of these get today's prize for being really wrong. Well deserved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right. Thank you very much for that, Pontus. Mm, thank you. You're handing out slaps here and there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. People will fear you, man. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it doesn't get to my head and I think that people admire me and everything that I say is correct. Yeah. No, we both hate you. So <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> I thank God for that. <laughs> I don't believe in God. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, that brings us to the end of the show. But as usual, before we go, we need a quote. And um, who else to bring a quote from than uh, someone who's done a lot to establish our current way of thinking about science? And um, he came up with the very important views on science regarding empirical falsification and the need for that. You know who I'm talking about? Is it Popper? Yes, it's Karl Popper. So he was born in Austria, in Vienna, on the 28th of July, 1901. So he's one of our birthday boys as well. Yes, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and the quote is, If we are uncritical, we shall always find what we want. We shall look for and find confirmations, and we shall look away from and not see whatever might be dangerous to our pet theories. In this way, 
it is only too easy to obtain what appears to be overwhelming evidence in favor of a theory which, if approached critically, would have been refuted. Very well said. <laughs> mm -hmm. He knew what he was talking about. <laughs> so if uh, someone hasn't read The Logic of Scientific Discovery, one of his most important books probably, I think we should all do that. It's, it's very important. So it's all about the idea that it's not enough to justify and empirically prove something because even if we find proof to something we can still find out later that it doesn't stand the structure of science when new findings are coming up that actually falsify our theory so this is where the idea comes from that it's empirical falsification that we need to seek and if something is not in theory not falsifiable then it's not a scientific theory because at least in theory, everything has to be falsifiable. So we need to establish the proper framework in which, theoretically speaking, you could uh, falsify the, your own theory. If it theoretically could be falsified, but it's not, then it lives on. It's an evolutionary process of theories and scientific ideas, which is just brilliant. I think, I think it's really cool. And it's still held up by skeptics and the structure of science as well. So it's amazing. All right. But <laughs> the show has to come to an end. Oh, no. And this is the moment when it's happening. And I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for join joining me today. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Many, many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis dann. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Really wrong. <laughs> that sounded awkward, really but okay. Wrong. wrong. But if you want to go with that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I do. Okay. okay. Good. Goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Ingen visslat. Visslat.